0: You're listening to The Cutting Edge, presented by Hilleberg the Tentmaker. This is Petra Hilleberg, president and CEO of Hilleberg the Tentmaker. For over 45 years, we have specialized exclusively in building strong, lightweight tents and in never compromising on quality of materials or construction. From the very beginning we have been family owned and family run. Our tents have become the go-to choice for discerning outdoor adventurers all over the world and especially for those who travel in challenging terrain and conditions and who demand utter reliability from their equipment. Conceived and developed in northern Sweden, our tents are made in Europe, built to last and offer the ideal balance of high strength, low weight, ease of use and remarkable comfort. This is Diggle McDonald, editor of the American Alpine Journal, the AHA. Our guest this episode is Colin Haley. On June 5th, Colin soloed the 8,000 vertical foot Cassine Ridge on the south face of Denali in eight hours and seven minutes. This was about six and a half hours faster than the previous record. The climb completed a trilogy of speed solo ascents on three of the Central Alaska Range's most historic and impressive routes. In 2016 Colin made the first solo ascent of the Infinite Spur on Sultana, or Mount Foraker. In 2017 he did the first complete solo ascent of the North Buttress of Bagaya, Mount Hunter, going far, far faster than any previous climbers on both routes. Both in Alaska and in Patagonia, where Colin also has spent many seasons, he has been a big proponent of the sport side of our sport. Using fitness, great technical skill, and careful strategy to create massive link-ups and speed records. He still loves doing first ascents, but his approach is an interesting look at the future of certain ranges where the biggest unclimbed plums already have been picked. Aaj editor Andy Anderson spoke with Colin in July about his new record and his thoughts on the future of climbing at the Central Alaska Range.
1: Colin, welcome to The Cutting Edge. Thanks for taking the time to chat with us today. Yeah, thank you, Andy. Um, Psyched to talk about your solo speed ascent on the Cassine Ridge on the south face of Denali. Um, How many trips have you done to the Alaska Range now?
2: You know, I don't know offhand, but I would guess something like 10 or 12.
1: What was the first one for you? Did you go to climb Denali the first time you went?
2: Yeah, my first trip to Alaska and to the Central Alaska Range was in 2003, I um skipped my high school graduation to head up to Denali for my first time, and um like lots of people, our plan was the casino, but that didn't end up happening. but I did climb the west buttress.
1: What impact did that have on your climbing going forward, like climbing on Denali for the first time and just climbing in Alaska for the first time? um
2: I don't think that first trip was necessarily that influential um because in the end, all I did was the West buttress, even though like At that time, I was definitely capable already of doing a lot more than the West Petras. But uh, I'd say that my Alaska trips subsequently have been very influential to me. Um, You have to travel north of British Columbia to get to kind of Himalayan-scale mountains in North America, I feel like. And so climbing in Alaska provides like a, a scale and experience of alpine climbing that you don't get elsewhere.
1: And you'd been on the Cassine, what, three times before this year?
2: Let's see. Before this year, I had been technically on the Cassine three times, but I had only actually climbed it once, (laughs) which is kind of funny-sounding. In 2010, I climbed the Cassine with a Norwegian friend to the summit. The year after, I climbed... um, something like two thirds or three quarters of the casino with a different Norwegian friend. Um, and then we like bailed traversing back to Fourteen Camp on the West Buttress. Um, and the year after that I tried it again with a friend from Squamish and we bailed after like a hundred meters of the Japanese cool war. So um, yeah and I can tell stories about those attempts if you'd like more detailed. But yeah, I'd I've been on the casino three times but I'd only done it once.
1: Well yes, yeah what what kinds of things did you learn on those previous trips about the route and about what it would take that kind of informed you to like, and enabled you to do it this time by yourself?
2: Yeah. I'd say that, uh, on those previous climbs, I learned a little bit about the general nature of the climbing. Although that wasn't such a big factor, um, in my recent ascent because For one, even the first time I climbed the Cassine, which was with my friend Bjorn Ivan Ortoon, we already went without any ropes that time. So even my first time on it, we were free soloing everything. And from my last time climbing the technical part of the Cassine until this year, seven years elapsed. So I didn't really remember the route finding that much. But those previous attempts definitely taught me a lot about what the right strategy would have to be to set a fast time on the
1: Cassine. And what did you you kind of think that was?
2: Well, basically the most significant thing is snow conditions and trail breaking. Um, My first time on the route in 2010, like we just had horrible deep snow on the upper part of the route. And my second time on the route in 2011, it was even worse. We had pretty much knee-deep trail breaking for the entirety of the approach and the entirety of the route. And um, the thing is, to climb the Cassine fast, you have to be a strong enough technical climber on that type of mixed terrain that you can free solo it casually. Um, So not only able to free solo it safely, but able to free solo it easily. and uh but even since my first attempt back in 2010 that was already the case the technical difficulties on the Cassin really are not that significant um but uh so assuming you already have those technical abilities it all comes down to snow conditions and fitness and trail breaking
1: do you think that's something especially particular to these big routes in the Alaska range i mean conditions are always a huge factor in alpine climbing but do you think that's particularly true on these peaks and on these big routes? Because a lot of these, even the hardest, some of the hardest routes in Alaska, you know, huge amounts of the vertical gain are elapsed in snow, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I would say that any
2: routes on like really big high altitude peaks, snow conditions play a huge role. The exception would be stuff that is consistently really steep and technical. Um, but... That's really only the case um, in places like Patagonia, where the entirety of the mountain is fifth-class climbing. Right. Um, But even there, obviously, conditions still play a huge role. It's just instead of how much snow is there on the ice fields, it's how much rime is on the rock. Sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, because you had written that you and Nils Nielsen could have probably gone sub-nine hours all the way back in 2011. Do you think it was just... A conditions thing or do you think you were way more fit this time around or?
2: Yeah, did I write sub nine hours?
1: I thought so, yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, well and I must have written that a couple years ago or something.
1: Was that an asp that was an aspirational yeah. estimate?
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, um let's see. I know that my strategy this time was better than Niels and I had in two thousand eleven. And I think my fitness was at least as good as it was then and so I think if Niels and I had the same conditions in 2011 in hindsight we probably would have done about 10 hours um as opposed to just over eight this time
1: which is Uh, still remarkably faster than the previous fastest time
2: sure yeah I mean yeah there's like so many factors going into all this I'm sure that uh when I tried it with Bjorn Ivan, or when I did it with Bjorn Ivan and when I tried it with Niels, either of those times, if we had conditions as good as I had just recently, um, it would have been under 11 hours. I'm quite confident about that.
1: So you kind of had these like free solo tactics locked in from the beginning, like no rope, no harness, no pro. What did you end up carrying this time?
2: This time, let's see. I had... um. Single boots, first of all. So on my previous attempts, I had always had double boots, and this time with a little bit more experience using single boots in high cold places and vapor barrier socks, I felt confident that I could go with just single boots. And super light crampons that are connected with Dyneema. And um, a pair of ice tools, an ultralight helmet, Um, But I didn't have any harness. I had umbilicals, but I just clipped them to one of the shoulder straps on my backpack. So their only function is to make sure you don't drop one of your tools. Um, And then I had leaving my camp down in the East Fork of the Cajotna, I had four liters of water. And when I started up the route itself, I had about three and a half liters of water. And I started from my camp with, two bars and 13 gels. And beyond that, it was just clothing. So, you know, pretty darn simple. And uh, I'd say that compared to people who are climbing the route over several days, which is typical, uh, the main obvious difference is I didn't have bivy gear. Um, But even compared to my previous uh, attempts at speed climbing the Cassine Ridge, the main difference there was that I didn't bring a stove this time.
1: Which is something you started doing on, uh, on Mount Hunter, or the, the mountain formerly known as Mount Hunter, Paguya. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and then what were you doing? You were melting water before you left and bubble wrapping it, right?
2: Yeah, and uh, this time I didn't have the like bubble wrap covered platypus um, system, but I just had a four liter dromedary. And I just had it kind of uh, rolled up inside my puff pants, inside my backpack, and that kept it warm enough. But yeah, I'd say that that's like maybe the biggest difference in gear from what's typical. It's pretty abnormal to climb uh, Bagaya from the north side or Denali from the south side without a stove. And so that's kind of like could be considered the biggest difference in strategy that I did compared to previous attempts
1: can you kind of break down the history of soloing and speed ascents on the route
2: um i mean i can do like a a abbreviated quick version yeah uh let's see the first solo of the casino was by charlie porter who i personally think was one of the coolest american climbers of all time and that was in the 70s i want to say 1977 or something like that or 76 but I don't remember exactly. And I think he did it in 36 hours from the base to the summit. And obviously in 2018, it's easy to be like, oh, 36 hours, that's not that fast. But um, this was in an era that when I don't think the casino had been climbed faster than six or seven days prior to that. So,
1: And you're talking about much heavier equipment. and
2: Yeah, I mean, yeah, a totally different paradigm. Um yeah, Charlie Porter's time I'm sure was a smaller fraction of any previous times than my recent time was. Um so that was the first solo and clearly a solo speed ascent. And then Mug Stump climbed the route in fifteen hours, and I think that was in nineteen ninety-one. And uh, that was another like, big drop in time on the route. And I wouldn't be surprised if it was actually 1450 or 1503 or something. I doubt he was really paying attention to the clock that closely because it was a different era. And obviously 15 hours was drastically faster than times before. And then in 2011, uh, two British guys, John Griffith and Will Sim, took another 20 minutes off and did it in 1440.
1: And those times were to the summit ridge or to the summit itself?
2: To the summit ridge. So both Mugg's, Stump's time and Will and John's time have a little bit of an asterisk next to them. Um, realistically, where you hit the summit ridge from the cascine is quite close to Denali summit. Um, if you're super well acclimatized and you're feeling super good, it could be a difference of only 10 minutes. Um, but most of the time when someone has climbed the Cassine single push, they're pretty freaking tired by the time they hit that summit ridge, which is of course the reason that people sometimes when they get there, they're like, screw it. I can't be bothered. I just need to descend down this other side. Um, And uh, certainly when Bjorn Ivan and I climbed the Cassine uh, in 2010, I remember that final section of Summit Ridge being absolutely brutal just because we had done so much vert up to there. Um, So anyways, technically, um, if we're counting times from the run to the summit. Uh, the speed record until a month ago was actually my own time with Bjorn Ivan in 2010 of 17 hours. But clearly, if uh, Mugstump and Will and John had persevered all the way to the summit, uh, their times would have been a little bit slower than what we know them as. But still much faster than 17 hours. So that was kind of a rambling response. Hopefully it was made sense.
1: (laughs) No, that was good. That was, I think that was a good backstory. Um, So this, like in the last three years, this is kind of, well, this year kind of marks the completion of you doing solo speed ascents of all of the big three peaks in the Alaska range and these kind of classic hard routes. Um, Did you see that as a project in your mind before you, started doing these or did it just kind of was it just kind of something that one led to the other
2: more the latter um definitely before i finished off my casino dream a month ago it had occurred to me like oh i'm gonna hopefully do solo speed ascents on kind of the three most classic big routes in the central alaska range um and I think the thought even occurred to me before I succeeded on the North Buttress of Gaia last year. Um, but it definitely was not the original idea. Oh, I'm going to do solo speed ascents on the three classics. It was more that I saw each of those as really cool things to try to climb solo. And then along the way I was like, oh, I'm going to end up doing all three of these. Um, but... Uh, yeah, in the end, the cassine was the one I was first trying. Um, but in the end, I'd say I did them in kind of reverse order of difficulty. Um, it was three successive seasons. Um, 2016, Infinite Spur on the south side of Sultana. 2017, North Buttress of Bagaya. And then this year, Cassine. And I think uh, the biggest accomplishment of those is the Infinite Spur, and then North Buttress of Bagaya and then the Cassine.
1: Do you think that's just circumstantial with what happened on the Infinite Spur with getting, having a storm on the Descent and all that stuff? Or do you think it was it, that's truly the hardest of the three, biggest undertaking? I
2: think it's truly the hardest of the three. Yeah, in terms of my experience, the order is the same, but, um, but I was just talking about kind of uh, my feeling of how significant the accomplishment is. Um, you know, it could be that, uh, a speed solo of the Cassine Ridge gets just as much attention as the others, but that's probably partly just because the Cassine Ridge is such a well-known climb. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, in reality, I'm definitely proud of all three of these ascents for sure. Um, but the reality is that my ascent of the Cassine Ridge a month ago is, special because of the time i did it in but that's the only thing about it that's special um soloing the cassine in 2018 is kind of no big deal it's been done lots of times and it's not that difficult um whereas with the infinite spur and the north buttress of bagaya both of those were in much faster times than any previous ascent but they were also simply the first solo ascent of these very big, serious routes. And and in those cases, it's on a mountain where there wasn't anyone else climbing on the entire mountain at the time and whatnot. So um, I feel like my solo of the infinite spur and of the North Buttress of Bagaya would be climbs I was really proud of, even if I took five times longer to do them as I had. Whereas with the Cassine, if I had done it with five times the amount of time, then it would kind of just be like, oh, well, that was a fun outing, but it wouldn't really be anything special or significant.
1: Yeah, and and I know you've written about this in the AAJ in the past, and we've talked about it, but like what's been the attraction in recent years to that kind of sport aspect of alpine climbing and doing like these speed ascents on peaks that you know pretty well or routes you've already done um, as opposed to like doing more exploratory climbing and new routes?
2: Yeah, um, well, I think... Basically, I kind of pick climbing objectives based on whatever sounds most inspiring or most fun to me. And I think there's often a big difference in what is most fun or inspiring to an individual and what is the most congratulated by the community. Um, You know, I think the climbing world in general has somewhat of an obsession with first ascents and so often people just you you hear people say like oh I've done first ascents in the Karakoram," without even knowing what mountain it's on as if simply doing first ascents in and of itself is significant um, and the reality is that doing a first ascent could be super super easy and doing a 50th ascent could be really hard if it happens to be, well, maybe not 50th, but (laughs) um, you get the point. And uh, I guess I just, uh, I enjoy lots of different aspects of climbing and um, I think some people when they see like a speed climb of a route that you already know, they're just like, oh, this is silly. Um, Real alpinism is new routes, but I kind of feel differently. I think new routes um, are awesome. well or not depending on what the route is (laughs) and um and um and speed climbing is a totally different thing that is less about adventure but more about just pure athleticism and sport and i really enjoy both and specifically in the central alaska range i've done a lot of trips there and um already uh more than a decade ago i climbed one of the hardest routes on Denali, the Denali Diamond. And I guess um, part of why I, in the last few years in Alaska, have been into the these kind of speed solos is because there isn't a north face of Latok 1 in the central Alaska range or a west face of K2 or a south face of Lotse. And it probably sounds kind of pompous, but I don't think there are that many routes in the central Alaska range that simply climbing them over six days would be extremely meaningful to me at this point. Um, And and so doing a speed solo is kind of just a way of making a route that isn't necessarily that challenging for me more exciting and challenging.
1: What do you think is of as the next step in the Central Alaska Range, do you think there's still cutting-edge new routes to be done, or do you think the future is more in this realm of, like, performance-based repeats?
2: Um, Yeah, maybe it sounds kind of cynical, but I think more the latter. Um, All the big faces in the Central Alaska Range have been climbed. Um, You know, people are still climbing new routes and new variations, um, but there's not a lot of impressive terrain that doesn't have a route up it anymore. Um, And, uh, and so I think, yeah, it's kind of a, a level of maturity in the climbing that's been done in a mountain range, like happened in the Chamonix area decades ago and has been happening in the mountains of El Chalten, Patagonia over the last decade. Um where there yeah, where there isn't a ton of unclimbed terrain left. And uh and so if you want to do something new that is exploratory in a different realm, not in terms of terrain, but in terms of a human's interaction with the terrain, um kind of what's left in the Central Alaska range is speed ascents and solo ascents and link-ups. Um probably of the three things I just mentioned, the thing that has been maybe most untapped is link-ups. The only one that really comes to mind is, uh, when, yeah, jumbo. And to be honest, I forget offhand who he was with, but, um, these 3 badass Japanese guys climbed the ISIS face and then linked it directly into the Slovak route on the South face of Denali. And, um, I think that's a really cool climb. And um, I remember Michael Kennedy talking about, he used to daydream about doing a trip where you would climb the North Buttress of Bagaya, descend the West Ridge, go up the Infinite Spur, descend the Sultana Ridge, and then go up the Cassine or something like that. But never going back to base camp, just (laughs) leaving Cahilton to base camp with two giant backpacks and doing it as one giant adventure. Um, so, I mean, obviously there's a billion different, uh, things that someone who's creative can think to try in the central Alaska range. But I do think it's true that, um, at this point, uh, the majority of new routes or new variations are being like squeezed in between existing things. Obviously there are exceptions to that, like, um, Clint Hollander and, um, Je- Jess Roskelly, uh climbed a bunch of new terrain on Mount Huntington um, and uh, the route that Bjorn Ivan and I climbed on Sultana in 2010. Um, but even both those examples that I just listed um, joined with existing routes long before arriving at the summit itself. So
1: um, There's been lots of talk lately with Tommy and Alex's new nose speed record about kind of the relationship between speed and risk. And, you know, at, after a certain point, to go much faster, you have to increase the level of risk. How do you think that alpine speed ascents like this compare to valley-style speed climbing or pure rock climbing, speed climbing in that regard?
2: Well, I think
1: um,
2: these kind of like speed ascents in the central Alaska range are much more complex than in a place like Yosemite because the nose, you have some variables like how many other parties are on the route that you need to pass and what the temperatures are. Um, But otherwise the route pretty much, or how much fixed gear is in place on the great roof, something like that. But in general, the route stays pretty much identical between attempts. And in Alaska, the conditions are so variable and the weather is so variable that it's much harder to, compare speed ascents kind of apples to apples, because there's so much luck involved um, that someone twice as capable might do a time twice as fast as someone else.
1: Do you think by virtue of that or
2: sorry, twice as slow. (laughs) Um, But I will say also that there's so many fewer people doing speed climbing in the Central Alaska range that I do think speed climbing in Yosemite, especially on a route like the nose, is basically much more mature than speed climbing is on the casino. Um,
1: it's closer to the, the edge of possibility.
2: Way, way closer. Yeah. Um, I mean, the number of people who have climbed the casino, even with a thought in the back of their head, like, oh, we should try and see how fast we can do this, that total number of people is less than 10. Um whereas the number of people who have started up the nose and said to their partner, hey, like let's see how fast we can go today, that number is more than a hundred easily. Um so uh there's just way more people involved um with speed climbing something like the nose than speed climbing something like the the Cassine. And so I think uh yeah, the the speed record on the nose is far, far closer to the quote-unquote limit than my record on the casino is.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you, assuming you had perfect conditions and no variables like on a pure rock climb, if anyone could walk up to the base of the casino any day and have perfect snow conditions, what do you think would be the edge of the possibility on a route like that?
2: Well, even just for myself one month ago, on the exact same day where I had the exact same level of fatigue and acclimatization, et cetera. Um, If I had perfect conditions that day, I would have done, I think, about seven hours instead of eight. Um, And that's... And that's
1: just going on how you felt, knowing how you feel on certain days?
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, and so basically the only variable I'm changing in this hypothetical scenario from what was reality is the snow conditions. Um, And so if you open up more variables and say it's someone with Uli Steck's technical mixed climbing ability and Killian Jornet's fitness and perfect conditions and super well acclimatized, you know, if we start talking about like theoretical limits, um, I think the Cassian Ridge could easily be climbed in four hours or something like that.
1: I mean, so you were saying like places like the central Alaska range and Shelton and, um, in Chamonix, these places are, you know, for lack of a better term, they're getting climbed out. Um, Do you see yourself finding inspiring challenges in those places in the years to come, or do you see yourself kind of focusing more on the Himalaya?
2: Um, I'd say more the latter. Um, I have had kind of a love-hate relationship with the big mountain ranges in Asia just because I keep wanting to go back because the mountains are so huge and spectacular. But then I keep going there and getting sick with some sort of GI parasite or getting kind of dissuaded by all the money that you have to spend to climb there. So in the past, I've had this kind of back and forth with my level of motivation to go climb in the Himalaya or the Karakoram. But I think my general trend is that I am Going to be focusing more and more on climbing there, and uh, but I wouldn't say that I'm uh, I have nothing left to do in other places like the Central Alaska Range in Patagonia. It's because I think if you are creative and if you're motivated, there's always cool things to do. Even if you were to stay the whole time in Chamonix, a place that has been like quote unquote climbed out for thirty years. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's a different kind of excitement to heading up a giant face that no one has ever been on before versus the kind of jitters before an athletic attempt of trying to speed solo, uh, the infinite spur. So it's, it's totally different types of things. And I definitely want that kind of unknown giant face unexplored experience, and I think the Himalaya is the best place to find that. But I still really enjoy kind of these more sporting, uh, less adventurous games in the
0: climbed out places. Thanks to Colin Haley and to Andy Anderson for doing this interview. You can find selfies of Colin's speed ascent at the Cassine Ridge at the Cutting Edge website where you'll also find links to his AAJ stories about his speed solo ascents of Sultana and Bagaya in 2016 and 2017. Just Google the Cutting Edge podcast and you'll find the website. Thanks also to Hilleberg the Tentmaker for their long-term support of this podcast. Until next time, this is Dougal McDonald, editor of the AAJ, wishing you happy climbs.